You're listening to the Beach Haven Podcast. Today's message is from Genesis chapter 15 and is the fourth in our teaching series titled Jesus on Every Page. Without further ado, our lead pastor, Rob Timms. And uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, and we'll be, uh, we'll be in several chapters of Genesis today as we kind of take a look at faith and the life of Abraham and how it points us to the person of, of Jesus. Um, so Ira had this really fond memory of being like four years old, riding in the front seat of my uh, mother's uh, 1970s Buick compact sedan. And of course, I was in the front seat in the 1970s riding in that sedan. Of course, I was completely unbuckled uh, riding along in town in the front seat. And of course, it was a bench seat, so I could just kind of go back and forth, left and right, while I was driving, where my mom was driving in the car. And I had this really awesome memory of her uh, driving through town and pulling into uh, a driveway off the street up to a place where there was a, a woman standing uh, behind a window just waiting for a car to drive up. And I got really excited. And as soon as we pulled into it, my mother rolled down. This is how you did it back then. You rolled down the window of her car. I climbed across the seat into her lap and I looked straight up at the woman behind that glass wall. And I said, I would like a hamburger and French fries. And the lady just started laughing at me. And my mother smiled and turned blood red. She was so embarrassed because we were not at McDonald's. We were at the bank right? But I just assumed that because there was a woman there ready to take my order that I was, you know, ready to get a blessing, right? Because my mother worked, she studied, my dad worked, they studied. It was hard. It was just hard to always provide these home-cooked meals. So I think perhaps my mother had some guilt or remorse about spending a little bit too much time at McDonald's, but I really love McDonald's. I could still just hammer fries for McDonald's really on, on any given day because it was just so easy when you're in that stage of life and all those things are going on, there's a, there's a kind of instant gratification associated with fast food. And that's the way I think about fast food coming out of the 70s and 80s. Like it's, it was instant gratification in the food space. So the idea that you could relatively cheaply get a satisfying meal so quickly meant that you didn't have to go through, and it still does, right? All the time, all the effort of making a meal for yourself. And it kind of felt like a treat at the same time, and it still kind of does. So I, we got kind of hooked on that as a family, and it showed itself even when my mother just wanted to make a deposit. So, but from my perspective, fast food was just the beginning of a number of, of, of things that had taken place in our culture um, that the world pushes or provides instant gratification. There are now so many different ways in my life by which I get and you get instant gratification. It's now weird. It's now frowned upon if you don't get instant gratification. And it's partly or largely because of the internet and because of the phone, which I'm now going to start calling an instant gratification enabler. That's my new name for my phone. Um, It's because of that, that we love and are addicted to and are formed by instant gratification. You You might think about it this way. The world is forming your faith in it through instant gratification. It wants to hook you and grab onto you and form you and build your trust in it through instant 
gratification. If you just think about this, any bit of trivia, if you're having a conversation and somebody comes up, you go, what's the person who starred in that movie that was really bad, but, you know, but she was really good? Who was that? And you don't know, so you just Google, who was that person that was in that really bad movie? And instantly you get the name of that person. That's instant gratification. If I am forced to experience any kind of delay in any capacity, whether it's in a doctor's office or a long line in an amusement park, I can just take my phone out and I can start playing a game and I've got instant gratification, right? If my college age son sends me a text message and he needs text, he's cash in a hurry, I can just open up the, the, the bank app and I can transfer money into his checking account. That's instant gratification, right? When I'm in the utility room and I grab the last roll of paper towels out, I can just go, Alexa, order more paper towels. And I've got them in two days, y'all, two days for free, instant and 40% off, instant gratification right? When I want my grandparents, you know, when I want the grandparents to see how awesome their children are and their, their grandkids are, I can send a picture or a video straight from my phone to their phone and it's instant. And I've got instant gratification. And so do they. If I want to show you how amazing my kids are so that you can know that I'm not a total loser and that I'm actually a really decent parent, right? I can have instant. It's literally called Instagram. I have Instagram and you can instantly know and I can be instantly gratified that you think I'm a really great parent and my kids are super cute. If I want to gripe, and if I want to complain about something on the internet so that people can know how rapidly I am aging, then I can go to Facebook and I can do all of that there. I get instant gratitude. That's the two purposes of Instagram and Facebook, by the way. This is how cute my family is. This is what I think about politics, right? That's what I get instant gratification in either way. And if I want to feel better about myself, if I need a rush of dopamine to feel better about my identity, then I can go back to Instagram or, or back to Facebook and I can see how much you liked what I posted and I can feel really good about myself. Do you see what the world is doing over and over and over again? It is forming my faith in it through that instant gratification, right? We grow in our trust in this world through its constant ability to be instantly gratifying. It's weird if you can't get instant gratification. That's the way the world forms our trust in it. We love the world that is instantly satisfying. So it's awesome. I love all that stuff. I love all that stuff that I can do that. And it feels so great sometimes to be able to have all that instant gratification. So as much as it's forming us and shaping us, it's also killing us. It is killing us. A third of Americans, adult Americans, have zero dollars in their savings account. Zero, because there is no instant gratification associated with saving or investing. Our attention spans have never been shorter. We experience more boredom, we are more restless, we cannot stay engaged as easily as we could because the habit of instant gratification is um, is stealing our ability to stay engaged for a longer period of time and trace long periods of thought and trains of thought. We've never had a more distorted sense of self-worth thanks to the instant gratification of social media. We subject ourselves over and over again to people's so-called perfections and we wonder why we don't have that kind of life ourselves. That instant gratification is actually causing long-term dissatisfaction with our own lives and our own identity, right? 
And it creates a sense of FOMO, of, of a fear of missing out, like because we're constantly exposed to posts about others' experiences and, and other activities, which leads to us feeling frustrated about our own life and our own activities and our own actual relationships. And we feel like we're missing out on something. So we go around with this anxiety going, I wonder what else I'm missing. And we're not taking in what we actually have. In our quest for instant gratification, we actually have long-term fear and dissatisfaction. Have you noticed all the commercials by AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile and all the commercials that they have about how you're not supposed to use your phone? There are all these commercials that they have about not, they are spending money telling you not to use your phone. It's because there are 2 million phone-related car accidents every year in the United States alone. On average, 13 teenagers die every day in the United States using their phones while they drive. Y'all, we can't make it from point A to point B without the quest for instant gratification through our devices primarily, right? So this world is forming our faith in it through this instant gratification. And it's awesome. I'm not giving up my phone, y'all but it's killing us. It is harming us. So we all recognize that while there's good in instant gratification, there's something wrong with more and more and it always being our reality. And all this came to mind this week as I was studying the life of Abram or Abraham in the book of Genesis. And now Abram is like the grand poobah of the Old Testament. Like he is... Uh, Jesus looks back on, on Abram, Abraham. Paul looks back on him. The author of Hebrews, as we just read, looks back and they just love this guy, right? They just gush about him because he lived, now he's not perfect, but he lived this amazing life of faith, just a really, really big life of faith. And the reason why Abram, I believe, had such an incredible life of faith is because he was not formed by instant gratification. His life was formed by delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. Let's, let's look at his story really quickly. Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, the author says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So in verses two and three, you've got this really profound promise by God. And in verse one, you've got this really profound response that's required from Abram, right? So the Lord is going to take this nomadic Iranian Babylonian guy with no ties to any existing royalty. And he's promising him, he's promising him, the Lord is promising him that he's going to make him into a great nation, that all the peoples on the earth are going to be blessed through him. And that is not an insignificant promise. Like that's a big deal. That's not, hey, Abraham, one of these days, we're going to scrap some money together and we're going to go to Disney World together. I promise you that. Like it's not that benign. Like it's really cosmically important. I'm going to make you into this huge thing and everybody's going to be blessed by you and you're going to bless. It's going to be amazing. And it's a huge promise. And because it's a huge promise, Abram had to have a lot of cost associated with this, right? He lost his home. You can see it in verse one. He lost his friends, lost his family. He lost his identity. 
everything had to be redefined for him in response to this huge promise from God. And if you keep reading, chapter 12, verses 4 through 9, you'll see that Abram arrives in this land that he's been promised in about a month. So he's 500 miles away in the land of Ur, and he's got a, a, he's, he's a caravan, you know, he's a nomadic caravan. He's like a, he's pioneering out west in the 1800s in the United States. You can only go so many miles, so many days, but if he makes that average of 15, 20 miles a day that nomadic caravans typically did at their pace, he's there in about 35 or 40 days. And that in Eastern ancient civilization is like instant gratification. He's there. I mean, God said, I'm gonna, you're gonna go. He packs up, he goes, he's there in a month. Boom, promise fulfilled. Instant gratification. So he's in this land. He's there. And this is where Abram is going to be made into a great nation. So the first part of the promise is here. It's, it's here that he's going to be blessed. It's, it's here that his name is going to be great. It's here that he's going to be a blessing. It's here that all the, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through him. And yet no sooner do they arrive in this promised land, do they experience a famine. And a famine in ancient times is a death wish for raising a family and becoming great and being blessed. It's the opposite of all of those things. And let's not forget that his wife, Sarah, is now in her 60s. I don't know how many of you will be in your 60s or in your 60s. You think, I think I'll start a family. Like that's not normal, right? So how is that even gonna happen, right? How's the land gonna sustain them? How are they gonna have a family with his wife in the 60s? In other words, they get there and they get this taste of instant gratification, but then everything is just like out of reach, right? So they go to Egypt for a little while. Weird stuff happens. And all of this, Abram gets pretty wealthy, right? He's a dink, dual income, no kids. They are just bankrolling it while they wait for all this to, to rally. It's really crazy. They get, and they eventually out of Egypt, they go back into uh, this promised land. And at the end of chapter 13, God reinforces this promise that he's made. God doubles down. Look at chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. He says, look from the place where you are. Look north, look south, look east, look west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted Get up, walk around the land through its length, through its width, for I'm going to give it to you. I just, I love that God, God said, get up, go walk through all this. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you. It reminded me I was 14. My dad would occasionally, because you got your license at 15 in the state of Mississippi back then. My dad would occasionally stop at a car dealer in town and we'd go look at trucks, you know, and just kind of run your hand down the side of the Dodge Ram or the Ford F-150 or the Ford Rangers, what it actually turned out to be. And you'd peek inside and read the things. He's got four-wheel drive. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, like you just, and it just builds this sense of anticipation. That's what God is doing with Abraham. I want you to put your toes in the grass, man. This is going to be yours and your offspring. You're going to have so many people, you don't even know what to do with it. It's going to be amazing, Right? And yet, years go by. 
It doesn't happen. Experiences come, people go. Abram's name in Hebrew means exalted father. But he's not a dad at all. He's wealthy. He's respected. He's got a great lease from Mamre, the Amorite. But a blessing? A landowner? A blessing to others? A great name? Exalted father? None of it, right? So then when the Lord comes back a third time, in Genesis chapter 15, Abram's kind of had enough. He is ready for some instant gratification. Look what he says to God in Genesis 15, chapter two, verse three. He says, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, You've given me no offspring. So a slave, that's Eleazar, born in my house is going to be my heir. At the point that Abram is bringing this up, it's been 20 years. 20 years since God said, get up, leave your, leave your location, leave your home, leave your friends, leave your identity, leave your geography. I'm gonna take 20 years. And Abraham's got nothing but a promise. That's what he's got. No instant gratification. God's response in this moment is unbelievable. When you put it all in this context, it's really remarkable. Look what he says to him in chapter 15, verses four through five. So the word of the Lord came to him. And so he said, this one will not be your heir. This Eleazar guy, how would you like to be Eleazar? Like you were this close, you know, that's the end of the story. We'll come to that later. Anyway, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside. He's done this before. And he said, not the dust, not the ground. Look at the stars. Count them if you are able to count them. And then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Now, here's what I want you to see. And this is absolutely crucial to our understanding about how the world forms our faith in it and how God forms our faith in him. In response, remember what Abram's saying, I am ready, God. I need some instant gratification. I need to know the answers, but God does not form Abram's faith through instant gratification. God forms his faith through more delayed gratification. It's more delay. God doesn't say, well, Abram, if you'll go back to your tent right now, Sarah's waiting for you. And if you guys will just sleep together, you'll have triplets in nine months. He doesn't give him that. He, he, he doesn't say, now, you know, Abram, thank you. You know, you've been more than patient. Thank you so much for, for waiting on me to get to this place where I could tell you. So here are some, here are some details. He doesn't, doesn't do that either, right? Those things would have been instantly gratifying to Abram. But faith in God isn't formed through instant gratification. Faith in God is formed through delayed gratification. Our world forms our faith in it through instant gratification, but God forms our faith in him through delayed gratification, right? Amen. 
God doesn't give Abram the answer that he wants so that he can have confidence in his circumstances. God gives Abram the answer that he needs so that he can have faith in God. And if you keep reading through Abram's life, both the beginning and in the end, you'll see this pattern over and over and over again. Abram's whole relationship with God shows us that God forms our faith in him through delayed gratification. Hey, Abram, I want you to pack up everything, leave everybody. I'm gonna send you somewhere. Where? I'll tell you later. God uh, says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. Okay, which land? Where? I'll tell you later. God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. Abraham says, how? I'll tell you later. God sends him a child. His name is Isaac. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham says, why? And God says, I'll tell you later. Over and over again, God is delaying gratification and the net effect of delayed gratification is faith in the one who makes the promise. Okay? So I'm not surprised in Abram's response after 12 and 13, now chapter 15. What was Abram's response? God says he wants instant gratification and God just triples down on the promise. And in chapter 15, verse six, Abram believed the Lord right? He believed the Lord. And look what God did in response to this. He credited it to him as righteousness. And how did this righteousness giving belief come about? It came about because of delayed, delayed, delayed gratification. Folks, this world forms your faith in it through instant gratification, but God forms your faith in him through delayed gratification. Which led me to think, like, I wonder how much of, I wonder how much of our struggles spiritually are the result of us bringing instant gratification expectations to a delayed gratification God. Like, how much of my issues, how much of your issues, how much of our churches or even our cultures struggle with God is us expecting Him to be a McDonald's when He's like a five-star Michelin chef that takes eight hours to do anything. Right? How many of the problems, how many of the worries, how many of the anxieties in your life are coming because you don't believe in the efficacy of delayed gratification? And so because God doesn't satisfy you when you want to be satisfied with the answer that you want, you give him the shove. And you get the anxiety and you get the, the, the worries and you get the problems that come because you can't trust in a delayed gratification. God, how much of your bitterness, how much of our anger, how much of our sadness, how much of your disobedience, how much of our lack of self-control is rooted in the reality that we don't trust his wisdom, we don't trust his timing, we don't trust his methods, we don't trust his justice. Folks, are you putting instant gratification expectations on a God who primarily works through delayed gratification? Because our world forms our faith through instant gratification. We come to expect it of everyone and everything, but God does not work that way. He forms our faith through delayed gratification. He doesn't give us the answers that we want so that we can have confidence in our own circumstances. God gives us the answers that we need so we can have faith. And that faith is credited to us as righteousness. What's more valuable than the righteousness of God being applied to who you are? Nothing. Abram's story, in a lot of ways, points us to the person of Jesus. But certainly in this way, 
with regard to delayed gratification. There's this really cool passage in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus has just been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, building up the spiritual strength to be able to face the temptation of the devil in the wilderness. And the devil does come to him, and time after time after time, he tempts him. He tempts him to act against his father, to doubt his father's will, to not do what God wants him to do. And if you'll read closely Matthew 4, 1 through 11, you'll notice that every one of these temptations is is a temptation to instantly gratify, right? So the, 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 the devil says to Jesus, you know, surely you're hungry after 40 days of fasting, right? Um, why don't you turn these rocks into bread and instantly gratify yourself? Jesus, you're, you're no doubt the divine king. Uh, here we are at this high point. Why don't you leap from this high place? The angels will, will catch you and everybody will, already, will come to know right then and there that you really are the divine king. How gratifying would it be, Jesus, to prove early on in your ministry just who you really are? Go ahead, jump. Or Jesus, why don't you just bow the knee and look around, look at, the, look at all the kingdoms of the world. They are effectively yours, but if you'll bow the knee to me, I'll give them to you right now. What would ultimately be yours if you stayed the long path, if you took the long way, if you delayed your gratification, I will give to you right now. My path does not include suffering, Jesus. My path doesn't include a cross. My path doesn't include ministry. My path doesn't include having to deal with people. You can bypass all of that stuff. I'll give all of it to you right now if you'll just bow the knee. I will instantly gratify your kingship, your divinity, if you'll just bow the knee to me. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't bow the knee? Aren't you glad that the same God who formed Abram's faith through delayed gratification became the true and better Abraham and delayed his own gratification so that you and I could be right with the father as well? I want to invite you this morning to a life of faith formation through delayed gratification. It's a life that looks a whole lot like Abram's, like Abraham's. And it starts, it starts with you believing what God has revealed to you about himself. Now, on the timeline of redemption history, right, you've got Abram here and God's promise, God's revelation about himself to him is, I'm going to do this thing in and through you. You are going to be the father of not just an exalted father, not just a father of many, but you're going to be a father, Abraham. You're going to be a father of a multitude. He just kept changing his name to fit the promise. And that was the promise to Abram. And Abram believed it. And that faith is what credited him, the righteousness of God to his life. It's what made him right with God. And now on this side of redemptive history, where you and I live today, we see that all that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. He lived perfectly in a way that Abraham could not. He actually is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. And in his life and death and resurrection, if we believe in who he is and what he's done in that moment, our faith in him, our leaning, our trust into him is credited to us as the righteousness of God. That's how it all starts. And when you lean into that, from there, you begin this journey of faith development. It takes time. It takes relationships with others who are doing the same thing. It takes discipline. You are not going to change instantly into the person that God's designed you to be just by going through some sort of spiritual drive-through. It's not going to work that way. 
So faith formation through delayed gratification. God's interested in you believing and trusting in him and his promise to make you like Jesus. He is not interested in gratifying your expectations. It is a faith journey, but his promise, faith in who he is and what he has done is so much better than anything you could want for yourself. So let the spirit work. The righteousness that's been credited to you is yours will actually become your own. That is what it means to be a Christian this morning. That means to walk in the faith, not through instant gratification, but delayed gratification.